0: Listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com.
1: If you would please stand with me for the reading of Scripture, today's Scripture reading comes from Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Then Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
0: You saved my life. Thank you. September eleventh two thousand 2001, 20 years ago, yesterday, I was watching one of the videos from that morning. One of the towers had just fallen, and that gigantic wave of smoke and ash and dust and debris is billowing out as wide as a city street, four stories tall, and this man is recording it on his camera, and... At the same time, telling this woman, come inside my shop, get in here right away. And he closes the door behind her. He's standing in the window still filming what's going on around him. And the woman in the background is saying, my stuff is still out on the street. And and then this wall of ash sweeps past the the glass front window of the store, just engulfing everything. And, And the woman is silent And then she says over and over again, you saved my life. You saved my life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 9-11 showed some of the worst of humanity, but it also showed some of the best of humanity. There were people who who risked everything to run into danger on behalf of others. There, There were people who sacrificed to to rescue and to save. There were were people who were looking out for one another and saying, trust me, come in here, let me me help you. A a day of loss and confusion and sorrow that was deeply unsettling and and raised all kinds of questions. What is going on? Where did this come from? Where is God in this? What is God doing? Why isn't God doing anything? Is, Is there any hope? And those questions can come up in our lives too. Sometimes in the face of life threatening tragedies, sometimes, maybe more often, just in the everyday realities of losses and sorrows and struggles and pains in a broken world. And just like on 9 11 and in its aftermath, we may not see the rescue that we were looking for or the resolution that we're hoping for, but there is hope. There is hope, just like in. All the tragedies and trials in our lives there's hope of rescue hope in the ordinary in the ordinary of our everyday lives and that's what we see in ruth chapter 3 if you haven't already go ahead and turn there in your bibles or you can grab one of these uh, black bibles from the seat uh, in front of you underneath we're on page 264 and uh, while you're turning there just a quick review ruth chapter 1 we meet Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons who, because of a famine in the land, leave their town of Bethlehem, and they go to Moab, of all places, this ungodly nation. And Elimelech dies while they're there. Their two sons marry Moabite wives. Ten years pass. the sons die, childless. Naomi's been to two weddings and three funerals and no baby showers. And she hears there's food again in Bethlehem. So she says, I'm going back. And she's determined to go there alone. But her one daughter in law, Ruth, says, no, I will go with you. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And Ruth commits to stick with Naomi and Naomi's God. And chapter one shows us tragedy and death and loss, but also hope and loyalty. And then In chapter 2, these two destitute widows are provided for by Ruth's hard work and dedication, gleaning in the fields, and and by the care and the generosity and thoughtfulness of Boaz, a relative. But as chapter 2 now comes to an end, the harvest season is over. And that raises questions. Ruth has been able to work in the fields harvesting grain, but where are they going to get food now? And bigger than that, where is Ruth going to find security and provision for the future? And how is Naomi going to find an an heir to carry on their family name, which is so important in the people of God at this time? Now, now Ruth, the story of Ruth is a drama. It's not a a parable. It's not an epistle. It's not a morality tale with a main point. So like we've been doing, we're going to go through the story sequentially and, and try and hear it as the original hearers did and see what they're seeing and what it tells us about God and especially about what he's doing in our lives and in our world, in us and through us. So Ruth chapter three, Naomi says to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And if you're paying attention, your ears may pick up an echo there from chapter one. Remember when Ruth, Naomi is telling her daughters-in-law, "May you go back to your homes and your families and find rest in a husband in your homeland." Rest here is not about ease or comfort, maybe in the way that we think of it. it women in that day, even more than our today, were, our day, were vulnerable. and husbands were security. They were safety, they were provision. They were hope for the future. Naomi is talking about Ruth's needs here and and what the future can look like for her. And what's fascinating, if you notice, is Naomi says, well, I better get busy and do something about that, right? In other words, Naomi is starting to take action to be the answer to the prayer that she has offered on behalf of Ruth. I should seek rest for you. We trust in God's sovereignty, and we take action. There's not a contrast between the two. God's people pray, and God's people plan, and Naomi does both. And what a crazy plan it is. Let's see if we can get the sense of it that that the original hearers would have heard. This is kind of shocking, actually. Look in verses 2 to 4. Boaz, a relative, the the one whose young women you've been working with, is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So uh, I'm not a farmer, but uh, Pastor Tom has ex- helped explain some of this to me. Threshing is uh, separating the grain from the stalks, and and you get a big pile of that. And then in the evening, the breeze comes up, and you you winnow it by throwing the grain up in the air, and the wind blows the chaff away, and you're left with the grain. And then the, and then the guys are all get together at the end of this long day of work, and they celebrate what God's provided, and and they're eating and drinking and and having a good time. And and Naomi says to Ruth, okay, so here's what I want you to do. In verse 3, wash yourself and put on perfume and dress up nicely. Okay, so in other words, Boaz is our relative, and we're going to appeal to his sense of duty, but a little bit of desire wouldn't hurt either. (laughs) So when Boaz goes to lie down then, Go, in verse 4, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Okay, this is one of those passages It's like, I'm not really sure this should be in the Bible because there's a lot of innuendo and double meanings and things going on here. Lying down next to someone is one of the ways in the Old Testament that the Bible talks about sexual intimacy. And to uncover someone's feet in Leviticus is an idiom for illicit sexual promiscuity. And add to that, Ruth is a Moabite, and well, you all know what Moabites are like, or you would if you were an ancient Israelite. Uh, We learn the story in Numbers chapter 25 where the Moabite women seduce the men of Israel into sexual promiscuity and idolatry. That's what Moabites are known for. And Naomi sends her Moabite daughter-in-law off with these vague, open-ended instructions under the cover of darkness to a place where men are going to be drinking and eating and having a good time and that was kind of known for, well, you know, there might be some women that show up and whatever happens, whatever happens on the threshing floor stays on the threshing floor. This is incredibly risky, right? I mean, what happens if she lies down next to the wrong guy? I mean, what if she lies down next to the right guy and he takes it the wrong way? Who are you? What, who do you think you are? What are you doing here? I mean, she could be publicly shamed. She could be driven out of town. We wouldn't be surprised if Ruth rejects this plan like she did remember back in chapter one when Naomi tries to send her home. But she doesn't. Verse five, all that you say, I will do. What an amazing amount of trust. That Ruth has, you see that, and, and then we come to uh, verses six to eight, which which are filled with kind of this, you know, you can you can feel the suspense here as Ruth heads towards the threshing floor. How did, how long did, where did she hide as she's waiting for Boaz? And how long did she have to wait for him to, to fall asleep? Uh, uh, did he snore? Like was, was she listening for that? And. And how careful she had to be to make sure she lays down in the right place next to the right guy in the dark of night and, and then how long does she have to lay there waiting for him to wake up? And then verse 8 tells us at midnight, Boaz is startled and he turns over. Now probably his feet were cold because she'd uncovered them. I'm, but who knows? I mean, knowing Ruth, I mean, maybe she was like tickling his feet or something to, to get things going here. I mean, that seems like the kind of woman she is. And, and then... Boaz wakes up, and he reaches down, probably to to pull the covers over his feet, and behold, a woman, the Hebrew says. Who are you, he asks. Am I dreaming? And she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. This position of uh, trust and humility and respect, and then she goes off script. Naomi tells her, go do whatever he tells you to do, and Ruth doesn't wait for that. She jumps in and starts telling him what to do. In verse 9, spread your wings over your servant. Does that sound weird to you too? Like, I mean, she's out in the country. Does she think he's like a chicken or a big bird or something? No, of course not. I mean, that's literally what it says. Your Bible might read, spread the corner of your garment over me. That's what the idiom is getting at. But again, what is that about? Is she saying, like, I'm cold here? Like, I'm sitting under one of these fans in the worship center? Or or Amelia, my wife, in the middle of the night? Like, I've, I've hogged all the covers, and she's trying to yank them back to her side? No, it's a metaphor that means, take me under your protection. Take me, draw me in close. And again, if we're listening... We should hear an echo back to chapter 2 when Boaz prays for Ruth, may you be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. That phrase, under the wings, is is exactly what Ruth is echoing here. This is a language of covenant care and commitment for other people. But it's also the language of marriage. That was the idiom. Like to to wrap your cloak around someone was basically to to be engaged. Ruth's appeal here is itself a little ambiguous and open-ended. She's saying, you know, Boaz, will you protect and provide for me? And if you're open to marriage, I'm not opposed. But why would Boaz do that? I, I mean... How would Ruth expect him to do that? Boaz has asked Ruth who you are, and she tells him, and then she turns around and reminds Boaz who he is. She says, you are our kinsman, a redeemer. And and, and that just sort of sits there, and we hold our breath waiting to see how is Boaz going to respond after the shock has worn off? I mean, this is a, a poor person approaching a rich one. It's a woman approaching a man. It's a Moabite approaching an Israelite. It's a field worker approaching the field owner. I mean, this is incredibly risky, what she's doing. Is he going to be angry? Is he going to reject her? And we come to verse 10, and, and with relief, we see Boaz saying, may you be blessed by Yahweh, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. Now, now, what is that about? How is Ruth showing kindness? How is Ruth showing kindness to Boaz in asking him to marry her? It has to do with Boaz being the redeemer. Now. Pastor Joey's going to spend more time going into detail about that next week because the role of the Redeemer is played out in chapter 4. But just very briefly, the Redeemer is a family member who would act as a, a defender or a rescuer for another family member who is in difficulty or trouble. That's what the Redeemer does. Ruth is not asking something for herself. That's the point. Boaz, I mean, he points out, like, you could have picked any of the, the young, attractive, available young men to provide for you. You're not asking that. And you're not even asking for Naomi. This has to do with Ruth asking something actually for Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. Ruth is offering herself in marriage to Boaz for the sake of rescuing the family of Elimelech from being forgotten, from being written out of the books, from not having an heir and having no share in God's people and God's land. She is offering to be the means by which the Redeemer can rescue this family and keep them alive in Israel. That's why Boaz praises her. That is why he's talking about this kindness being greater than the former kindness, because what he's saying is, look, I I know that you left everything. You left your home, you left your family, you you came to a country you didn't know with a poor, destitute mother-in-law, and I have seen how hard you have worked, how faithful you have been to her. And this is a greater kindness than anything you've already done what a woman Ruth is. And Boaz tells her that in verse 11. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And again, there's another echo that we're meant to hear there. Remember when we, just about a month ago, finished up in Proverbs, in Proverbs 31. And it's that description of an idealized woman, a person of godly wisdom, a a wife of noble character, uh, Who can find? Ruth here is being pictured as a model of that kind of godly wisdom lived out, faithfulness and goodness, a reflection of what it means to know the Lord and to walk with him. And so Boaz's exclamation is, everyone knows that that you are that kind of a, a noble, virtuous, valorous woman, and you would make the perfect wife. And under her breath, Ruth is probably saying with us, well, then get on with it. And then verse 12, another kind of shock here for us, right? There's someone else. There's another Redeemer. There's another relative who's closer than I am. And Boaz is not the only eligible bachelor in town. I mean, apparently, Redeemers are now like city buses. You you wait forever for one, and then two of them come along at once. You got more than you need. And as a man of integrity, Boaz is going to follow the law and the custom and give this other guy the the first option in verse 13. And maybe that's why Boaz hasn't acted before now, because he's a man of honor and integrity himself. So along with Ruth, we have to wait and see what's going to happen. Boaz promises one way or another, you're going to be redeemed and and probably married, but will it be the one that she wants? Will it be the one we want her to have? We don't get to find out until chapter 4. So come back next Sunday. But in the meantime, Boaz says in verse 15, okay, bring, open up this garment. Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out like a big shawl that the women would wrap around themselves. And, and he, he pours out six measures of barley into it that may have weighed upwards of 70 pounds, perhaps. And, she, you know, all I can say is that's kind of amazing, right? Like, I struggle with the 80-pound bag of sacrete, and here's a, here's a woman. I mean, this is a woman of strength and virtue. And I mean, 70 pounds of barley, the Wiesmans can tell you, you're not going through that with customs when you come back in the States. You're not getting a ship to overseas, do you? I mean, That's huge. And she goes back home and, and Naomi's waiting, you know, maybe all night, prayerfully, anxiously wanting to know, how did it go? What happened? Are you going to get married? And Ruth says, yes, I think so. Not sure to who. And she tells the story and then She points to these six measures of barley in verse 17. I mean, she spent the night with a guy that she's got kind of even odds chance of marrying, and and she's talking about, like, grain futures? What is is this about? Well, of course, it's not just the barley. It's Boaz's words. He said, you must not go back, literally, you must not go back empty to your mother-in-law. And again, we're supposed to hear the echo of what Naomi had said about herself in chapter one. Oh, the Lord sent me away full, but he's brought me back empty. But she's not. And the whole story is in part about how God is taking Naomi from emptiness to fullness and working in all these scenes, in all the details. It was emptiness because of famine, but more than that, she had no husband, no offspring, which again in that culture was so hugely important. So the barley says, there's more where this came from to provide for you. But more than that, it hints that Boaz is promising to provide the greater redemption that only a child could bring to their family because seed is an image of offspring. And Boaz is hinting, just like Naomi and Ruth had had all these double meanings in what they're saying and doing. And so they wait. And we have this hope of rescue, we have to wait until chapter 4 to see how it all comes out. But what do we take away from from this chapter? What have we learned about the hope of rescue in Ruth chapter 3? You know, the narrator never mentions God doing anything directly In this book it's kind of amazing it's one of the uniquenesses about this story and yet God's providence is at work all the time behind the scenes he he brings Ruth into the field of Boaz and and he's working out in all these details of what's going on here and and Naomi believes that God is punishing her somehow that his hand is against her And, and yet the whole story is about God's work To rescue and restore her and her family and he's doing it through Ruth's boldness and loyalty through Boaz's faithfulness and integrity and kindness and and God is weaving together all the faithful obedience of his people to accomplish his redemptive purposes in the lives of these people and that's the way he works in our lives too That's what I want us to see. Three things from this story that briefly that show us the hope of God's rescue. And the first one is this. God's rescue comes through others. God rescues us through others. The good news of Jesus is literally that. It's good news that there's a rescue available that isn't about us, that isn't about what I have performed or what I am earning or how I'm measuring up. It's the good news of what God has done for us through someone else. It's good news because God is not asking you to rescue yourself. God is not telling you to clean up yourself until you get to a point where you deserve kindness or help. See, Naomi is going to be rescued through Ruth and Boaz's actions. And Ruth is going to be rescued through Boaz and Naomi's actions, and Boaz is going to be rescued through what Ruth and Naomi are doing here. And spoiler alert, all of them are going to be rescued by their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson. Jesus, that's what this is all heading towards. Because rescue from God comes through others. And if you're here... And if you know Jesus, it's because somebody else told you about him. Somebody else loved you. Somebody else discipled you. Somebody else encouraged you. Somebody else prayed for you. Somebody else helped you. Somebody else visited you. Somebody else guided you. You're here because of somebody else. And then that means also you are here because of somebody else. God's rescue of others is about you. You see how that works? Every single one of us has something to contribute to bringing the God of God's blessings into other people's lives. You, you see what Ruth is saying to Boaz. Boaz, you, you prayed that I would find refuge. I'm asking you to be the answer to that prayer in my life. Be to me what you prayed that God would do. I God's working out through human initiative and human action his purposes and his designs. Boaz has prayed that the God of Israel, the God of compassion and generosity and care for the poor and the needy would show them goodness. And Ruth is saying, okay, Boaz, so be that. Be the answer to your prayer. Behave to me as God would and what you prayed God would do there's an important important lesson that just is woven throughout this whole book god works through human action we love it when god works miraculously and directly you know we we i'd love to you know have the the red sea part and the, the you know feeding of the 5000 and but that only happens in in isolated incidents across the whole scope of scripture and they're rare and in certain eras and most of the time throughout thousands and thousands of years of the bible god is working through humans he's working through his people to bring blessing and life and joy and wholeness into this world prayer and planning go together because god works through what we actually do to be channels of his rescue and grace for others we need to ask god for wisdom and discernment to know when we're supposed to act and and when we need to wait when to trust that god will intervene and and when we step out to to be the answer to those prayers there's there's no formula here right it it takes a lot of wisdom it takes discernment it, it takes prayer it takes sensitivity to the spirit but this chapter of this book is telling us clearly that God's sovereignty and human action go together. We use our gifts. We use our jobs. We, we use our callings. We use our relationships. We, we use our time and efforts and energy to be God's blessing in other people's lives. You have something that someone else needs. The, That's why the New Testament writers talk about the church as the body of Christ and all the parts are needed. If you're part of the body of Christ, the question is not whether you serve, but where are you serving? And how are you allowing God to use you to bring his rescue, to bring his restoration, to bring his wholeness into someone else's life? Just like he's done for you. Rescue is about us it's about God using us because God rescues us through others and he uses us to be the answer for the prayers of other people in their lives and then God rescues us through trust through trust you see how much trust how much is going on in this chapter I mean Naomi is trusting God in a huge way here right this is an incredibly risky and convoluted plan a successful outcome from all of this has to depend on God aligning all the variables in the right way and, and Boaz taking things in the right sense and responding in the right way. And, and she's trusting God for Boaz. She's trusting his character. She's, she's trusting Ruth because this is risky. It's, it's unusual. I mean, if, if this weren't like inspired, you'd look at this and go like, this is crazy, And and Ruth has risked everything to leave behind her family and and everything she knows to follow Naomi and more importantly, to trust Naomi's God. I mean, she's like more filled with faith than Abraham. I mean, he at least gets a voice from heaven. Abraham, leave your home and follow me to the place I'll show you. Ruth doesn't have that. All she has is this mother-in-law who's, you know, in chapter 1, kind of a hot mess, but there must be something there that, that leads her to say, I want that God. I, I want whatever Naomi has in, in that confidence and that relationship with God, I want that. And, and she trusts herself to that God. And, and Ruth makes herself incredibly vulnerable before Boaz, right? Like, she risks being taken the wrong way. She risks being taken advantage of. She, she risks rejection. And Boaz is trusting Ruth, right? Because how do I know? She's not taken taking advantage of me I mean is she some gold digger, or am I going to look foolish when I tell everyone in town like I want to marry this Moabite widow? Man, it makes me ask do I <laughs> yeah, do I trust God the way these people do? there's an incredible amount of trust that these people are placing in God, and it doesn't mean to be foolish to take dumb risks it means I, I trust God for what He can do and what He will do and and be willing to take wise, spirit-guided steps of faith. I mean, these are trustworthy people here because they're trusting the Lord, because they're reflecting what He is like. And that's really the point. Jesus is the one we need to trust. That's, what, that's who these people are pointing us to. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than the brother. Jesus is the one who never changes, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus is the one who, who says, come to me and I will never cast you out. Oh, trust yourself to Jesus. And if you've never done that, today is the day to do that. But if you have done that, there, are like me, probably areas of your life that, that you still kind of hesitate to trust to Jesus, right? Like, I'm not real comfortable with letting him lift the hood and tinker around under the engine and start pulling out things I don't like and rearranging stuff, because I got stuff arranged the way I like it. And I, that doesn't sound very comfortable. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. God wants to help us, help you with that, that fear, that anxiety, that continuing struggle you have, that... that difficult relationship, the thing that you don't know what to do about. And to do that, you have to risk letting yourself be honest before God and inviting him to help you see what you need to be honest with him about. And you have to do that trusting that he's safe and that he ultimately wants what's best for you. So trust him and and help Let him help you grow to be a trustworthy person. Look look at how safe these people are in this story. As you grow to see more and more of Jesus' gentleness and kindness and how safe he is, it makes us a safe person to be around. Other, Other people's words are safe with you. Other people's reputations are safe with you. Other people's hearts and hopes and dreams should be safe with you. That's what's happening here. We're living in a culture of what one pastor called toxic shame because grace is at an all-time low. And and we go around assuming the worst about each other and go out public with it. And, And then we can also end up being hard on ourselves because of all the things we've messed up. And Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you grace. I am safe. I will never cast you out. God rescues us through trust. Trust Jesus and let him grow you to be a person who is more and more safe and trustworthy. And then finally, God rescues us through sacrifice, ultimately. Sacrifice. That's always part of it. You know, as we said, God doesn't really show up in the story except in being invoked in blessing, but we're supposed to see his presence, his fingerprints, his work all over it, especially this language of redemption in chapter 3. The words redeem, redeemer, redemption are, are here six or seven times in this passage. And no Israelite could hear that story without thinking back to the ultimate expression of their redemption, which is the exodus from Egypt. When Yahweh said, I will bring you out from under the slavery of the Egyptians, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's what redemption is. It's rescue and restoration. It's taking you out of the mess and the brokenness and bringing you to what you ought to be and what things ought to look like. And it always includes sacrifice, Because there's always a cost to rescue. There's always a cost to rescuing someone, right? I mean, we saw that in the heroism of people on 9-11. My wife Amelia works at Fox Hill Elementary, and the big news at her school is one of the teachers that's going to be out for a month because she's donating a kidney. Not to her mom, not to a kid, not even to a family member, but to a friend. She's the channel through which rescue is going to come to this other person at a cost at a sacrifice and and we read this story of course as christians and we we know that the one in whom redemption rescue finds its ultimate fulfillment is jesus christ this story has its own meaning but it's meant to point us to the greater story of how our redeemer god took it on himself to act with sacrificial love because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to redeem us, to rescue us. Not just on his sacrifice to the cross, which is the center and of course the most important part, but his entire life. His whole life was giving himself for the sake of others. His kindness, his compassion, his prayer, his healing, his feeding, his teaching, his protecting, all of it was Jesus using what he had in order to save and bless others so that in him we would find everything that we were meant to know, forgiveness and security and identity and family and community and and purpose. And and now, as his people, we reflect what he's like. Did did you notice the self-giving generosity of everyone in this story? Boaz has been tremendously generous to to Ruth and Naomi. The law did not require him to be so free handed with his goodness. But out of a heart of love and goodness and God directed self sacrifice, he's just, he goes above his responsibility to pour out blessing on them. And and now there's going to be this costly expense of redeeming them. And, And Naomi literally puts her own interests aside to say, I I need to look after you, Ruth. I'm concerned for your future, which means Ruth is going to leave her household, and Naomi's going to have literally nothing. And Ruth offers herself to, to Boaz as a part of rescuing Naomi, and yet we never get the sense that they're doing this grudgingly, right? They're not complaining. They're not dragging their feet. They're not moaning about it. Just the opposite. These people are willingly, happily, lovingly sacrificing for the sake of others to be the channel of God's rescue. You see how all of this fits together? I mean, mean, if it looks like we're sacrificing something, but it's actually God's rescue of us, right? Like, we give up something of ourselves, but we actually gain life and joy and blessing in the process. You give up your time by teaching kids or, or taking meals to someone who's sick or writing notes of encouragement or praying or, or managing the lights and sound in the live stream so that people can worship at home or, or calling up people who can't, but whatever, on and on, greeting people at the door, or making coffee, caring for neighbors, a, th- a thousand different things. And you give up time and energy and and you make your heart vulnerable to be hurt by the woundedness of other people in that. But what you actually gain is joy and blessing and life and, and spiritual maturity as you bless and serve others. What Boaz and Ruth and Naomi are doing is imitating what God is like, how God gives himself Ruth is offering herself to to be the channel of God's redemption and to Naomi and Elimelech and Mahlon and Boaz is going to be a redeemer for her and on and on. It's just this cycle of beautiful rescue through sacrifice. And we do that gladly and lovingly and willingly when we know the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus to us when it shapes us. Oh, let's be those kind of people. The point is not be like Ruth, be like Naomi, be like Boaz, but look beyond them to Jesus and what he's doing in their hearts and lives because that's what he will do in our hearts and lives too, that he could make us as beautiful and admirable and noble and virtuous as these people are. That's what he wants for you. That's his goal, his, his plan, that through you he can pour out rescue and blessing through your sacrifice, through your trust of him and being a trusting person and through your faith and action together. Oh, hope, hope in that rescue. That is our hope. May we be that kind of people. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, what can we say except thank you, not just for this story, not just for your word, but for Jesus, for your grace, for your kindness to us, for your rescue. That reminds us, just like in Ruth and Naomi and Boaz's lives, in all the details, in all the circumstances, you are at work bringing restoration and hope and blessing. Oh God, may we be more and more the kind of people that are the channels of your blessing and goodness because we have known it in Jesus. We pray with gratitude in his name. Amen.